The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you would, uh, open in your Bibles to the end of Ecclesiastes. We are in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. Uh, We are processing through these last couple chapters together. And because this is a large uh, text, I'm just going to read this passage for us as we move along in it. And so rather than reading it up front, all of it, um, we will read it as we go along. But I will read the last paragraph of Ecclesiastes 12, and then we will pray for God's help. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this, will be the whole du- for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So let's pray. God, as we look at these words, the end of Ecclesiastes together, I pray that you would help us to love you, to submit to your word, to be changed and challenged by your word, and Lord, to remember that you are a true and real and joyful God who has given us yourself and your word to find joy in an impermanent world. So we pray for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, we are here finishing Ecclesiastes. I know this is sad for some of us. Um, this is, I, I've actually found out that more people find... Last week I made fun of some people that thought Ecclesiastes was their favorite book. I apologize. I realize there's more of you that think this is your favorite book in the whole Bible, and you guys are all weird and you have your problems. But uh, that being said, we're finishing Ecclesiastes, and as I have been wondering who else loves the book of Ecclesiastes, I discovered that J.I. Packer, of all people, this was his favorite book in the entire Bible. So, you know, now you guys can look at me and say, Jacob, you're the problem, not us. But J.I. Packer um, it recently passed away. He passed away about 10 days ago or about a week and a half ago. Um, he is probably one of the most pronounced and important theologians of the 20th century. Uh, if you've read his book, Knowing God, that's a fantastic book. You really should if you haven't read it. And just to give you a little bit of kind of like an insight of why that book is so impactful, that book basically summarizes and follows the outline of John Calvin's The Institute of Christian Religion. And if you're kind of like, that's a big book, well, just read Knowing God, and then you got the idea, right? So uh, Knowing God by J.F. Packer is probably one of the most important books in the 20th century to be written. Um, J.F. Packer um, famously revived the Puritans, reading the Puritans from the uh, 17th century. Um, fantastic theology, a godly man, um, an Anglican up in Canada of, who was originally from England. So anyhow, but he said about Ecclesiastes, this is um, his comments about the book of Ecclesiastes is why it was his favorite book. Ecclesiastes is one of the Old Testament five wisdom books. It has been said that Psalms teach us how to worship, Proverbs teach us how to behave, Job how to suffer, Song of Solomon how to love, and Ecclesiastes how to live. How? With realism and reverence, with humility and restraint, coolly and contentedly, in wisdom and in joy. Jay Packer sums up Ecclesiastes with saying that basically the reason it is his favorite book is that it teaches us how to live, and it doesn't just teach us how to live like a to-do list, but with realism and reverence, humility and restraint, coolly and contentedly, in wisdom 
and enjoy. The book of Ecclesiastes has been very difficult to process through. It's been a lot. And we've gone through, it feels like in the, around chapter 8, we were like kind of taking a stroll through the graveyard. You know, we were like, this is the realities of life that we are here processing. What does it mean to live in a world created by God, Genesis 1 and 2, given to us in good things, designed for good things to be given to us, and yet Genesis 3 exists. There is death and sin and decay in this world. And so how do we process these things together? That's why Ecclesiastes is a difficult book, because it is itself wrestling with those things that we think about deep in our hearts and kind of mumble about, like, why is it like this? And yet Ecclesiastes engages those things. And like Packer says, we are left on the other side of working through Ecclesiastes, learning how to live with realism and reverence, with humility and restraint, coolly and contentedly, in wisdom and in joy. That is, this joy theme, finding joy in a world where we are so marked by death and sin and decay, I think is one of the most profound things of Ecclesiastes. C.S. Lewis famously says that joy is a serious business of heaven. Joy is a serious business of this world, and because it is serious, it engages the realities of death, it engages the realities of what this life is all about, And so as we end this book, we are kind of given a a bit of a pep talk or a uh, reminder as we go out of the door, here's how you are to find joy in your life moving forward. And so here's the main point of this whole passage, chapter 11 and 12, remember God to find real joy in an impermanent world. Right, this whole series has been beautiful things, finding joy in the impermanence of life. And so here we are ending this whole book, being called to remember this very God and who he is amidst this world that is largely defined by decay and impermanence and instability, something that we all feel very strongly today, right? We live in a world that is very strongly defined by instability. I've largely um, gotten very annoyed with hearing the word uncertain because it seems like that's the only word that any mass email I get from anybody <laughs> uses. I'm like, you guys know how to use the thoris, the source, right? Like you can look up alternates for, anyhow, that's a bit of a rant. But we live in a world that is impermanent, and yet it, re- it is remembering God, chapter 12, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes, right? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. We'll get there and we'll talk about it, but this whole idea of remembering, remember who God is amidst this world, amidst the life that he has given us, to find joy. So, what are the questions that this passage, these two chapters leave us with asking and finding joy in this life, in this impermanent world? So here's four questions, we're gonna talk through these. Am I living boldly, trusting God's sovereignty? So this speaks to our faith. Am I living boldly, trusting God's sovereignty? Am I pursuing pleasure as God intended? So this speaks to our joy. Am I rooted in my, in, in my brief life? Am I rooting my brief life in the eternal creator, right? This is, speaks to our self-control. How do we understand ourselves and live with control in this world? Am I humbled, I should say, in learning from God's wise word, not I learning? Am I humbling, I don't know what the grammar is going on here. Aaron, why did you not edit this before I did it? <laughs> Am I humble, humble in learning from God's wise word? This speaks to, obviously, our humility. So, that being said, um, we are going to pick up here in chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, 
I'll read this, and then we will go through it again. Cast your bread upon the waters. This is point one. Am I living boldly, trusting God's sovereignty? So here's what we're looking at in these these six verses. Am I living boldly? This is a question for remembering, trusting God's sovereignty. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster will happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if trees fall in the south or in the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the cloud will not reap. As you do not know what the way, of the, the way the Spirit comes into the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening, at evening would do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. So, what is going on? First thing, out of the gate, we're like, cast your bread upon water. Like, what does that even mean? I don't know what that's talking about. What is that? What is this? Verse one, cast your bread upon the water and you will find it after many days. So just to give a little bit of some ancient, ancient context, obviously not a lot of us live 3,000 years ago. We, don't, we weren't around, but 3,000 years ago, this was kind of a common proverb. This is, you find this in the Egyptian texts of wisdom literature. Do, the, the, so the Egyptian proverb of this type says, do good, cast your bread upon the water, one day you will be rewarded. So that's the, that's the Egyptian version of this proverb. And then the Turkish one, right? Those guys just write up the, the continent a little bit. Uh, different continent, slightly, so, right? Anyhow, um, their version of it was, do good, cast your bread into the water. If, fish does, if the fish do not know it, God will. So they were just, basically, there was a, this proverb of casting your bread upon the water, Speaking of this idea, kind of like when you go to the zoo and you throw the little stuff out to the ducks, right? <laughs> like, just do good deeds. You don't have to control what happens, right? The idea here is just like, do good, even if you don't know the specific reason or the specific result of what's going to happen, right? Just do good, right? It, kind of casting your bread up on the water is a, a idea of just sending out good, uh, good actions into the world, kind of like Nike, just do it, right? Just do a good thing. And the idea here in verse two, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know, no, for you do not, for you know not what disaster will come upon earth. The idea being here, kind of continuing from verse one, look, just be generous, don't be calculated, right? So when it's talking about how do we live our life, how do we live our life with gratitude, with joy, with reverence, well, being calculated. I, I don't know if you guys ever had friends where you're, you can tell they're doing good things to help other people, but they're keeping a mental list of, I helped Jacob do this so that when I need something, cash in, I get Jacob's help. Now, any relationship is going to build in two-way street, but having a calculated, I'm doing this so that I can get somebody to do something for me, or I'm doing this so that I get this recognition, right? That's the calculated side of this where they're just saying like, look, you don't know like what the results of any of your actions are going to be. You do not know what the days ahead are going to look like. Just be a, a generous and giving person, right? I, I remember, I, this is, I know these are kind of like sore topics to talk about in the church. I remember talking to Bill like two weeks before he passed away, 
that he, there was this benef, um, benevolence initiative that he wanted to start just to like, so that it was, as I recall, it was related to helping people find food and get food provisions during the early days of the pandemic. So a literal illustration, here's Bill, let's give this, I want to give this amount of money to give people this food just because that's who he was and he wanted to give money towards that. Unfortunately, the calculus did not work in his favor on that and here we are missing Bill. But the idea being that in this passage, you do not know what the days ahead are. Do not be overly calculated. So to pick up on that, verse three and four, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves in the earth. If a tree falls on the south and the north, in the place where the trees fall, tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the cloud will not reap. So the idea here being simply, generous activity today is better than generous activity tomorrow. So giving today, helping other people today, serving and loving other people today is better than waiting until tomorrow to do it. Because uh, you don't know what the natural laws are going to do, right? You don't know where the tree is going to fall. That the idea being that you cannot control the, the laws of the universe. You can't even control the ways in which like trees simply decay and fall over. Then if you are sitting there observing the world and calculating when's the exact best time, verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow. If you're constantly sitting there in the field trying to figure out when's the best time to throw my seed into the ground so that the wind doesn't blow it away, but it goes in the ground, you're never going to throw the seed, right? You're just going to get locked up and not doing anything. So the same thing, he who regards the cloud will not reap. I don't want to be out in the field when it rains. So when is it going to rain? I don't know. Is that a dark cloud, light cloud? Is it a heavy cloud? Whatever. You're just never going to get it done. That's kind of what's going on here. So verses five to six, which as you do not know, the way of the Spirit comes to the bones of a, woman of, a, of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything, right? There are mysteries to this life that we just do not understand, right? How does a child become a child? I don't know, like pro-life, we're going to believe the life begins at conception, all that stuff, but still it's like, how does that, how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how any of that stuff works. In the morning you sow your seed, in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. I think you're getting the idea here. Again, this is just simply like, do what you're going to do to love and serve and enjoy and be generous and kind. You can't control how it comes out. Which one's going to be fruitful? Which one's not going to be fruitful? Don't know. The expectation at some point is that your efforts will produce good, but the underlying theme is that we cannot control life surprises. God does. God's the one who's in control. So the question being, are you living boldly, trusting in God's sovereignty? Right? There's this book by Kevin DeYoung that I remember I read back um, over a decade ago, and the title of it is Just Do Something. <laughs> Right? And it's this idea of, and I think I spoke to it last week, of like, am I doing the exact thing that God wants me to do with my life? Am I doing exactly what he wants me to do? Because am I supposed to be a pastor in this way or in that way? Like, what am I supposed to do? And it's just kind of like, bro, 95% of what you're called to do in life is just clearly be faithful, love your neighbors, be a good husband as best I can to my wife, my kids, all that stuff. Do that stuff. Just do it. Don't, don't get too caught up. Am I doing the exact right thing? Like, be generous, gracious, and love other people. 
So while we are in the midst of this pandemic and all the things that are going on, I understand being cautious and I understand wanting to not let that stuff get you locked up and not doing anything. Be wise, take in the best information that you can and how you love other people, but don't neglect to love other people, right? We still got these phones that we can use to text other people or FaceTime or whatever, but however you're going to do it, still it should be reflecting this idea that, okay, whether I get COVID-19 or not, whether I get sick or not, I have today, and God has given me today to love other people around me. Let me not neglect serving and loving those. And it's going to look different, right? Everybody's going to look different. I was with the Chaos track on Friday night, and we were talking about, okay, how do we specifically serve the needs of women in our church during this period? And we're all just kind of like scratching our head of just kind of like, I don't know, like life is totally different now. Like, what do we do? Well, I don't know. Well, what about this idea and that idea? Those are great ideas. But we're going to trust that God's caring for us. He's smiling upon us. And we're just going to be generous with our life and serve other people and do the best we can. Be wise, but be proactive, right? We cannot get locked up on trying to calculate the exact measurements of how our life decisions are going to turn out. That's what's going on here. Ecclesiastes helps us remember how to live this way. All right. We're going to move on, verse 7 to 10. Second question we're going to ask, am I pursuing pleasure as God intends? Verses 7 to 10, am I pursuing pleasure? How do I remember God and find joy in the impermanence of this world? Am I pursuing pleasure as God intends? Verse 7, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the uh, eyes to see the sun. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let, him not let, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all those things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So, what is going on here? Again, so, uh, verse 7 to 10, I think, is this whole idea of that we need to, that he is commending, pursuing pleasure and joy, but there is a tinge of sobriety about it, right? So, you'll notice in verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. The, Im- the implicit underlying meaning here is today, <laughs> Right, you'll see it today. Remember, he's talking. He's going to say here in the next verse to young to young people. Right, you got your sight today, but just so you remember, like you're going to need those glasses, or you're going to have something going on where you can't see anything later on. Right, you can see it today, and that's all that you have. Are you pursuing the pleasures of seeing the sun? Right, there are pleasures to be given, but you are under the sun, and therefore, being under the sun, you are defined by by death and decay, and it will come for you. And so, how you do it? Are you pursuing? pleasures as God intends, intends. Verse 8 sticks, strikes me very strongly. For if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. I have, um, uh, up until recently, I've been working out at the YMCA here in, the down, in downtown Manchester, and I got to know a man there, uh, Bill Katukas. Uh, I don't know if you know him or not, uh, but Bill... Um, was from the greatest generation. He lived to be 98. He just passed away this past January, but he was he was known as the mayor of the downtown Y. 
He was there every day. He joined the Y when he was 14 years old. And back then, when you joined the Y at 14, um, I don't know, whatever, however many hundred years ago that was that that counted up to, uh, you would get the Y membership for free after you retired at 65. So Bro lived to be 98 years old, and he went to the Y for free for 33 years, for my entire, for almost my entire lifetime. But Bill, uh, Bill um, was a part of World War II. He actually shook General Patton's hand. I shook Bill's hand, so I'm like two degrees of separation from General Patton. Like you can be three degrees of separation from General Patton if you shake my hand. But it's COVID, so no shaking hands. Um, so, uh, but so. Bill passed away on January 20th of this year, but I remember talking to him last fall when we were, at some point we were passing in the Y, and um, he just said this to me, because people always ask him, you know, what is it like to live so long? I mean, he was 98, you know? He was like, honestly, I don't really enjoy it that much, because all my friends and my family are dead. And that's what this verse is all about. Bill lived to be 98 years old, and he, he enjoyed his family, he was devoted to his family, he was a good man. But he lived to be so old that he buried his daughter and his wife and all of his friends and all of his cousins and siblings. He buried all of them, and he had to live with that for his entire life up until 98. That's what this verse is saying. Let him remember that the days of darkness will be many for him who lives a long life. So that's not to say don't live a long life, but it's just to say the more life and joy you experience under the sun, with it, comes the reality that death is coming for you and those around you. Verse 9, rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that all of these things God will bring, into, will bring you into judgment. So what is going on here is it, it almost reads, it's kind of like, well, just go out there and have fun, guys. You know, well, you got the, the best time you got. You've only got now, um, right? YOLO. <laughs> you only live once. Just go for it. That's not quite what's going on here. I think um, there's this famous passage or this quote from uh, Martin Luther that I think captures some of what's going on here. We can throw it up here on the screen. Martin Luther, in a letter, said this. If you are a preacher of mercy... Do not preach an imaginary but true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true true and not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner and let your sins be strong, or you might heard the phrase sin boldly from Martin Luther. This is the context of that. But let your trust in Christ be stronger. And rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. Pray hard, for you are quite a sinner. Wouldn't you love to have Luther as a pastor? I mean, the guy's just like so like on the nose about everything. But what's going on here? This can be used to say like, hey, just go out there and have sin, just, just sin all the time. Like, it's okay. That's not anywhere close to what Luther's talking about. What he's talking about, I think, is similar to this passage. Engage the world. Engage in what is going on around you. Enjoy the good things of life, but recognize you are a sinner. You will occasionally or regularly, in one way or another, because you are a sinner, you will break the beautiful things that God has given you in this world. But you are given those beautiful things from a God who is a redeemer and a forgiver and merciful. So he actually gives those beautiful things to people who are actual sinners with the intention of redeeming and renewing and saving them. So, yes, the idea of like sin boldly is just simply to say, 
Go after it. Enjoy life. Don't be ridiculous. Be wise. Like the whole point of this letter is to be wise with your pleasures and your joy in this life. But don't get locked up in, if I have one glass of wine, is a half glass going to be too much? Okay, be wise about it. Like three or four glasses of wine maybe, you know, over the edge. But still enjoy the pleasures of what God has given you right? Enjoy the life that he has given you. Are you enjoying pleasures as God intends? Yes, you will mess up, but you have a God who has given you these pleasures and is also a redeeming and forgiving and renewing God. Because you can wreck beautiful things does not mean you shouldn't pursue living joyfully in this world, right? Actually, verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body from youth and uh, and the dawn of life is vanity, right? I think that if you, what he's speaking to here is just simply that if you get so obsessed on the pain and reality of this life, it will vex you and you will just become a gigantic cynic. Death will define the world around you rather than the life-giving goodness of God who has given you the pleasures to enjoy. So, Get rid of that cynicism in your life. And how do you get rid of that cynicism in your life? Right? Like we said a couple weeks ago, go eat a steak, you know, (laughs) enjoy life. Or if you're vegetarian, right, eat a great gigantic salad with all the good proteins on it and all that stuff, right? Just do what is given by God for you to enjoy. Pursue the pleasures, right? Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You wonder what those pleasures are that God has given you at his right hand. He upholds the entire world by the power of his word and in his hands. So the world in itself, all the pleasures that he has given you, good music, the joys of, of if you're married, right, your, your spouse, food. I, I keep saying food. There might be a theme here, right? <laughs> Baseball. Baseball's now back on. Thank God. You can watch the socks. You can... All these good things that God has given you, they are pleasures from his right hand for you and joy. So take them, but recognizing that you are accountable to the God who has given them to you, and he will bring those things into judgment. Okay, so we're going to pick up here chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. And we'll, uh, so we're kind of uh, we're tilting into the second chapter here. Um, how do we remember God to find real joy in an impermanent world? We're going to see it here in the first word in chapter 12. But the question for these verses, verses 1 to 8, am I rooting my brief life in the eternal creator? Am I rooting my brief life in the eternal creator? Verse 1 to 8, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near for which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the eyes are dimmed, uh, through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut, and the sound of the grind, grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and the da- and all the daughters of songs are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshoppers drag itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, 
and the dust ret- and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So, this is a very sober passage. It's a bit of a, it feels a bit of like um, a depressing passage, and that's kind of the point, right? You'll see here at the beginning, verse 1 of chapter 12, remember also your creator. So it starts out with the creator in view, God the creator, and it ends, verse 7, God who gave it, who made all of this. So it's kind of capstoned or bookmarked by this idea of God as the creator. And amidst all that, the creator's creation returns to chaos. It's a, it's a bit of a decreation, you could say. This is a bit of like a reversal of the Genesis narrative of all that God made, and it is the effect of death and kind of pulling back all the life that was given. So you'll see with me, right, uh, we'll pick up here verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, right, the things that keep us, our hands are trembling, right? There's a bit of some allegory going on here. The strong men are bent, right? They are bent over. They don't stand up right. The grinders, um, your teeth <laughs> cease because they are few. You got less teeth when you're old, right? Uh, they begin to fall out. Uh, those who look through windows are dimmed. Your eyesight begins to dim, and the doors of the street are shut. I think it's talking to your lips, right? And the sound of the grinding is low, right? And you can't hear so well. And one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughter's songs are brought low, right? Again, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on in these verses, but I kind of wonder, like, you know, like when people get older, they have to go to the bathroom a lot in the middle of the night. <laughs> Just speculation, totally, total speculation. Don't write that in any commentary at all, okay? Total speculation. I just comes from experience from knowing... Anyhow, they are afraid of what is high and terrors are on the way, right? The almond tree blossoms, right? The blossoms and almond tree are white, right? For those of you who have hair, you look forward to having white hair. Some of us were expedited in the process of putting the front of the line. All gone. The grasshopper dragged itself along, right? Slow, just dragging ourselves along. The desire fails, right? Your libido is gone or less when you're older because man is going to his eternal home, Right? This is the end of things, going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about in the street when we anticipate that our family is dying. So the idea here being simply, right, the tree of life here in the uh, um, verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel at the cistern or the wheel is broken at the cistern, right, these are all in the ancient days um, lamps were made to kind of reflect a bit of a tree in some ways, especially in the Jewish culture, reflecting the tree of life. And here those things are used in an image to say, uh, the life, your life is over. I honestly, I tried to figure out like, what is the Gordon, uh, the silver cord snapped? And it's like, I was like, Oh, okay. Is that related to the fates in the Greek mythology? No relationship at all. I, I don't know what's going on there, but the image is clearly intended to say when your life is over. And so, amidst all of the sobriety of meditating on the decreation of our, of our existence before the Lord, death comes for us all. We are, we, we are confronted with this question, remember also your creator, right? Commending, starting to follow and obey and love God and find his joy when you're young, right? When you are young, early on in life, it is better to be enjoying the good things of God under the redeeming smile of God through Jesus Christ in your youth. It it is commending us 
to, in, in many ways, reckon with, you are going to die someday. So, enjoy life under the smile of your Creator now. Are you rooting your brief life in the Creator now and not delaying? Because, as we have seen in the rest of Ecclesiastes, no day tomorrow is guaranteed. Start today. But, I think that it is, amidst all of this kind of this story of decreation, to come back at the beginning, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. This idea of remembering is critical to the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, actually, I was grateful for our scripture reading from Stephen this morning that we, there was this idea of remembering exactly what I want to talk about this, in this passage comes up. Idea all through, the, all through the Old Testament is this idea of remembering, and what they do remember is they create either a ceremony or like a pillar, and you're always like, why are they making all these like pillars of stone and pouring, pouring oil on them? And like, what's going on with that? Like, it's all through the Old Testament, and we saw it in our, uh, the, um, the uh, Passover narrative of remembering. We do these things to remember. The idea of remembering in the Old Testament is largely built around this idea of a ritual to instate, to ground an identity of who God is and what he's done. Right? It is a, the reason we do the Exodus, I'm pointing at the screen, not that it's still up there, but the Exodus narrative that we were reading up there of the Passover is do this uh, meal in this way, take a, you know, an unblemished lamb, one year old, slaughter it, eat it quickly, get out the door, under the, or stay inside the house, put the, door, put the blood on the door hinges so that as the Lord passes in judgment over you, it is saying something about who God is and how he has provided the way of salvation for his people. He has provided the way of escape from death and judgment rather than all of their efforts, and they are to act quickly in response to who God is. Right? That's, that's kind of like what's going on in that whole story. When we are called to remember, we must put into practice this idea of how are we going to remember who God is and tell ourselves who we are in light of him, right? I'm grateful again for the singing the song, I am who you say I am at the beginning of the service. All through the Bibles, these stories of remembrance are answering this question, who am I before the Lord? Who am I? Who is God and who am I? This paragraph tells us if you buy into death, ultimately your story will be one of the cynic that says death will take everything away from me and then I die. But if you remember your creator, as verse 1 says, there will be a ritual, there will be a, you could use the word, the, 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 the churchy word, liturgy, there will be a rhythm and pattern of how you remind yourself of who you are before this God. Who are you when you stand before your creator? That is why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what does Jesus say in the Lord's Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. Train your mind, set up a liturgy, a pattern of how you think about who you are so that when you think about this thing, who, you, who am I, you're reminded my life and my identity are grounded in this reality of what happens in the cross and resurrection of Christ. That answers a, a core identity of who we are. Am I, everybody tracking here? Are we following? Okay, just how we remember. This is, this is a part of what it means to be a Christian, to be existing is to answer the question, who am I? And so we must ask the question, are you going to be remembering stories of new creation in Jesus? 
or are you going to be remembering personal identity stories of decreation? So we're saying all this up here. Let me give an example from my life this last week where I failed to do this. So uh, as you guys may be aware, I have finally achieved having a home gym at my, at my house. Uh, actually, yesterday morning, I'm working out. Everybody, like, I now have kind of like this posse of audience that comes out and like just kind of like cheers me on. Yeah, Dad, you're the best. You're the strongest. Look at you. Nobody could achieve this like you. So that's what I expect. I am out there. I'm lifting. I'm starting to get warmed up, and then suddenly everybody's gone. <laughs> They're all out in the yard doing something else, not staying there and paying attention to me as they should be, lifting my weights, doing what I do. And I begin to remember a story. Oh, everybody lose me. People always forget me. People always do this to me, right? Here it is yet again. Poor me. I'm forgotten. My own children have forgotten me. I'm left alone. They've left me. That's a liturgy. That's a remembrance, right? I had to talk about Michelle, talk about that that with Michelle later, but that is a liturgy. So when you hit stress points in your life, you do a liturgy. You do a remembrance. You do this verse one. You do it. You don't even realize that's what you're doing. And that's why the preacher, the teacher, is calling this out for you to say, look, when you hit who am I moments, which you hit every hour of every day, you are training yourself one way or the other to remember a core aspect of your identity. So are you rooting your brief life in your creator who's given you all the joyful things of this world because he is a joyful, redeeming God? Or are you playing out some narrative in your head or in your heart of, I will ultimately be defined by death and decay? Those around me will ultimately be defined by death and decay. It is the grace of the gospel that steps in. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves, we are laying out a liturgy yet again in our minds to say, who am I? I am a child of God redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is who I am. So, as you ask the question, how do I remember God to find real joy in an impermanent world? Am I rooting my brief life? Am I developing internal liturgies, remembrance to root my life in my eternal creator? Let's end our passage out by looking at verses 9 to 14. Another question that this passage calls us to ask, am I humbly, humbly learning from God's wise word? Did I get it right? Ah. I'm not sure why the questions at the beginning were wrong. Am I humbly learning from God's wise words? I'm sorry about the cutout at the bottom. Verse 9 to 14, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Let me just pause and say, just so you notice, there are three people in view in this paragraph, right? He has... In many ways, you have the, somebody who recorded what the preacher or the teacher said, that person plus the teacher, and he's going to bring in a third person. The preacher sought to find words of delight upright. He wrote, wrote, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed in the collect, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Here's our third person, right? You have the writer the preacher, and now one shepherd who is God himself who is giving these words. My son, beware of many, of anything beyond these, of making of many books there is no end, and much study is, weir- is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all have heard, 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, secret thing, whether good or evil. So we have these three people that he is bringing into play here, and he is reminding us that the word of God himself is for instruction and teaching. It, it is beyond just simply helping us be wise, right? Verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. He is speaking God's word in every aspect of life. And what does he do with that? Right, the preacher, he uh, thought his words were pleasing, right? You see that? thought words that were uh, a delight, and they're upright, and they are true. Right, the shepherd gives words of life that are upright, true, and pleasing, and then the Word of God is in many ways uh, designed specifically. Uh, let's see, here it is, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. So those things are, they, they, they push animals along when you're, um, when you're driving in a field, right? Or nails firmly fixed, right? When you are securing things on your wall, whether it's a poster or whatever, right? They secure, they're words that give guidance and purpose um, and their memory aids in a certain sense. Right, so here, what's going on here, uh, verse 12? Maybe you've heard this for, for the writing of many books, there is no end. Right? What is this going on with this passage or this sentence? Uh, this is not saying that, like, um, hey, you should not try to read a lot of books in a year or anything like that. Like, everybody should be trying to read. That's a good thing for you. Helps you. The point of this passage is just, is just simply to say, this book in Ecclesiastes has wrestled with how do we live our life? That's what it's wrestled with. How do we live our life when God's given us beautiful things and then there is this decay and death in, the, in this life? How do we live it? This book has answered that question. And so if you're trying to find other ways outside of what this book addresses, it will be an unending search because this book has largely given us the answer of following uh, the end of the matter here, fear God and keep his commandments, right? That's the end of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, because it is better that way, even if there is so many uncertainties in walking a life of wisdom before the Lord. So, taking God's word seriously, taking God's word in a broad sense seriously as our guide in life, am I humbly learning from God's wise word? Do you look at the Bible and do you receive it as a delight, as upright, and as true? Is it something that's pure and good for you? Does it fill your soul? And I will say that it is something that you have to work at, right? There is a certain sense of it's not, it doesn't just come uh, at first blush. It's not the most easiest document to read, but it is designed by the one shepherd to be the way of knowing him, fearing God, and keeping his commandments. In the life of Jesus, um, he has, right before he is uh, led towards the cross, or walks towards the cross, he is uh, put on trial by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and one of them says to him, what is the greatest commandment? This is a very famous moment in Jesus' life. And he says to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
see, Jesus brings in the clarity, maybe a little bit more clothes on than what this passage does for us here at the end of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And God will bring into judgment every deed, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus brings in the clarity for us. As we do follow God, as we do obey his commands, as we do see him for who he is, we are reminded that we, we have a God who does bring us into judgment, and through Jesus, we are given free mercy and grace so that we are then defined by this God to keep his commands and to, ex- to enjoy the fullness of the life that he has given to us to love others and to enjoy the life around us. With everything else in life to enjoy and grow in, this is enough. Following under the smile of God in Jesus, to know God, to obey his commandments, empowered by the Spirit, and joyfully receive the good gifts of our God with our neighbors. That's the point. That's the end of the matter with Ecclesiastes. This is how we remember remember our God to find real joy in an impermanent world. We find him smiling in us, on us in Jesus Christ, giving us free gifts of power and grace and mercy and, gift of, and grace in Jesus Christ. And then we also find him continuing to give us beautiful things in this impermanent world to enjoy his glory, not only him, but with our neighbors and uh, those around us. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.